Kia ora and welcome to the Female Career Podcast. My name's Anna Johnston and I work as a leadership and career coach for women. I'm looking forward to sharing with you an inspiring collection of career stories of a diverse range of women of Aotearoa New Zealand. I hope that by listening to these stories, you'll feel inspired in your own career. If you do enjoy the story, please head along to our website, thefemalecareer.com, where we have lots more stories of wonderful Kiwi women and their careers. We'd also love you to subscribe to our podcast so that you have all the episodes at your fingertips. And please do tell your friends and family about it too. For now, though, I hope you enjoy listening to this career story. I'm really looking forward to speaking today with Renee Graham. Renee was appointed as Te Tumu Whakahaere Chief Executive of the Social Wellbeing Agency in June 2021. Prior to this role, she was Chief Executive of the Ministry for Women, a position she held since 2017. And in that role, some of their key focus areas were around eliminating the gender pay gap in the public sector, trying to help policymakers better understand the gender impacts of their policies, and also to try to increase the representation of women in leadership and governance roles. Before that role, Renee held senior policy roles at the Ministry of Education and Ministry of Social Development. And she started her career with work and income, where she worked in frontline as well as project and management roles. I'm really looking forward to hearing more about Renee and also about her career journey today. Kia ora, Renee, and thank you very much for joining me. Oh, kia ora, Anna. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're welcome. So the first question that I would love to ask you today is, and might take you a little way back, but when you were growing up and you were a child or perhaps even into your teenage years, what were you thinking about in terms of your career? Thanks. Yeah, it's um, not so far away, but far and far away for um, me to have to think about that. Yeah, I guess my career is kind of sets up with sort of where where I grew up and how I grew up. I guess I grew up in a kind of a state house in a low socioeconomic area, Porirua. You know, my parents uh, left school. Uh, when they were 15 without any qualifications and they were always really hard working but didn't have a lot of education behind them and I had a big family but um, when we were growing up kind of just having a job was actually celebrated let alone what kind of job or where you're going and what your um, your aspirations were so in a way and in, in a work sense I didn't have a lot of role models when I was growing up I didn't kind of see a lot of potential or my opportunities or where I could go but I grew up in a really loving family and you know we had a lot of love and a lot of family around and a lot of the way I grew up kind of adds to the values about how I you know, inform my leadership today. My parents um, sent me to a good state school in Wellington, so I had to, like, catch a, a bus and a, and a train and walk to college every day, twice a day. But it was a college where, you know, it was Wellington Girls College, and it was sort of opened my eyes to a lot more potential and where I can go. And during that time, you know, all my peers were going at that college were going to university, so... I thought, oh, I'll go to university then if everybody else is. So, and I was the first in my family to go to university and take that step. And that was kind of because of, I think, that the education I grew, that I that I got when I was at that school and kind of opened my eyes to a lot more potential and a bit more aspirations and what I could do as a, a person. 
So after I finished college, I went to university straight away and for three years and, and I had a good time as you do as a student. But <laughs> to be honest, like, you know, my, my grades were probably C plus, B minus. So, you know, it's like I found it a big step from college into university. You know, I was in a new environment, having a good time, probably got an A in my social life. But, you know, I was kind of just busting to get out into the workforce and actually I'd had enough of university and, and learning. And actually I didn't go back to do my master's until about 10 years later when I was working for the Ministry for Social Development. And that, that was a possibility for me to do. And actually going back and doing study as a mature student was really fun. And I'm like hard because I was balancing. I had, um, you know, two children under five, a full-time job and then doing study. But it was something that I kind of set a goal to do and achieve. And actually you kind of learn a lot doing that about the priorities in your life and how to balance you know multiple times and as a woman you, you you have to so how do you how to you know that kind of taught me how to balance my you know work-life balance and what was really priority in my life at the time and actually achieving that master's was was you know was one of the kind of the highlights in, in my life because I did it while I was working and with children as, as well and you know I got to graduate with my kids watching so that was awesome too. And so after in terms of your first kind of full role after university I believe you joined work and income so tell me a little in, in quite a frontline role tell me a little bit about the the highlights but also some of the challenges of those first few years of your career. Yeah, I well, when I finished, I, w- I had been doing vacation applications during holiday time. So in the old days, you know, students used to be, be able to apply for support in the holidays. They don't now. But I had a job during the holiday period at Work and Income. And when I finished university, they said, oh, there's a job here. Do you want to come and work for us? And I was like, oh, well, I don't have a job to go to. So I'll just come for a few months until I get a real job. Well, that was kind of the wrong attitude to take because 20 years later, I was still there. (laughs) Um, But, you know, you identify that that, that those sorts of things are real jobs and that, you you know, you can learn from that. But at the time, there was a few of us with university degrees at Work and Income. And, you know, I kind of just sort of built my career from that. But the main and I kind of uh, learnt from that and you'll hear if, if you talk about the public service like what is your spirit of service and that's about you know what made you want to work for the public service or take your career in the public service and if you ask people they might say well you know what was your spirit of service moment when you actually decided to work and that was probably working for me that was working for working income on the front line and actually when you're sitting there and people are asking you for help to, to buy food for their whanau, that's kind of when you go, well, you know, this is the world that, that we're supposed to be helping and, and how can I do better and help people of New, you know, New Zealand or people from my community actually do better in life because actually having to ask people for food is kind of not okay. And that, that was my kind of spirit of service. It's like, where, who's making these decisions <laughs> um, and how can I change, make changes that help people of my community or New Zealand is better. And from um, National Office, working income is frontline. And then I went into National Office because, you know, that's where all the policies and guidelines were, were being drafted. And so I worked kind of in an operational policy area for eight years while doing my OE and having my children. 
And then I decided, well, the decisions aren't being made there. Where are they being made? And that was in the policy area. So that's when I retrained and with my master's in public policy and just followed the, like, the decision-making kind of tree. And when you're developing policy, that's when you're providing advice to decision-makers like ministers or cabinet government about what they could do and how we could do things better. And uh, there's not a lot of people that also have an operational background and a policy background. So I'm quite blessed to be in kind of a a small group. And what that just means to me, that when I'm providing advice and policy and developing policy, that I can take a real practical frontline perspective in the decisions and the advice. So actually, at the end of the day, what change is this policy really going to make to people on the ground? And how can I advocate or how can I you know, provide advice that takes that into consideration. What I've learned over time is that ministers or cabinet really sometimes don't really have less interest in what you're going to say, but have a real big interest about, you know, what impacts it's going to have and what people are going to see on the ground. And so my experience in that sort of allows me, I think, better to to actually take that into consideration into both. So that's where my policy kind of role came up as well. And then what then, Renee, was the journey through then? I know you worked for both Ministry of Education and Ministry of Social Development, and then to take on the role for of the Chief Executive for the Ministry for Women. What was the journey into, into moving into that role? I think to sum it up, it was a little bit of being in the right place in the right time, a little bit of hard work and a little bit of skill. <laughs> so all of those things kind of combined got me in a, in a, in a, in a good position, I think, to be able to, to apply for the role. But where I had spent 20 years, I think, in the Ministry of Social Development, and in hindsight, uh, that was probably too long. So, you know, some some if I was providing some advice to, you know, young people coming through, it, it's to kind of get a really breadth in the organize in the public service, having a bit of experience across multiple agencies and just sort of the different way that agencies work. So I think, you know, in hindsight, 20 years was probably too long, although I had some fantastic experiences. And because the Ministry of Social Development is so big, I got to move around every couple of years. But it's kind of the, you know, that that you kind of do get seen to be kind of too much in a sector if you're there too long. So some advice is to kind of spread your experience around to different agencies. So by the time I got to doing it, I had to take kind of a big leap then. And I had, I got to the opportunity where I was finishing this comment and my manager said, okay, so now what do you want to do? And I was like, oh, I don't know. And he's like, well, just figure it out and work it out and then tell me. And I was like, well, so I was like kind of left to my own devices to go and find somewhere else. So I had to take a bit of a big, big leap and actually ask someone for a job. And I'd identified Ministry of Education and I just had to sort of send an email to her and to the manager there, the DCE, and say, oh, I'm, I'm available, you know, are you kind of interested? And, and you know, she could have said said no, and, and then I would have been really embarrassed. But actually, she gave me a chance, and so that was um, great, and she gave me a yes to comment, so I had an opportunity at the Ministry of Education to kind of show what I, what I could do. And actually, I, I kind of started from scratch again. So they didn't really know me, you know, they didn't trust me, uh, they didn't know what I could do. So I had to really 
sit down, you know, do a bit of hard work to, to demonstrate my skills. And that was good, a good few years. And then the, the secretary at the time, Iona, and, you know, had an opportunity and said, and then said to me, oh, what do you think about applying for uh, the chief executive of the ministry for uh, ministry for women? And I laughed and said, you're right. And then she goes, no, seriously. <laughs> and I'm like shaking my head. But she said, don't think of it as a chief executive role. Think about it as, you know, leading your own policy shop. And I thought, well, I can do that. You know, it's easy to do that. I can, I'm confident I can do that. And she's like, well, put your name forward. So I kind of went, well, I'll put my name forward and go through the process. I don't think I was like maybe a shoo-in. I think the, the commissioner said to me, well, um, you know, you're, risk, you're edgy, but you're a bit risky, you know, I'll think about it. So, um, but he did give me a chance. And so that was my sort of my start. Super. And I like the way that, as you said, somebody else saw that in you. And sometimes it takes other people to believe in us or give us that chance for that to come true. And so, you know, tell me a little bit about your time as the Chief Executive of the Ministry for Women. I guess, you know, our organisation, called it's called The Female Career. We've got a real passion around gender equality. So, mm-hmm. you know, what did you really enjoy about your time in that role? Yeah, it was, well, the first thing I'd describe it as pretty terrifying. Um, um, you know, being new, probably not having a lot of confidence in myself, a little bit of imposter syndrome. And, you know, over time I've heard you know, people saying, oh, we shouldn't actually say it's imposter syndrome, but I I don't know. For me, I think it was good to identify what you're going through and what you're thinking and being able to talk about it and, and find some techniques to work through it. So for me, you know, it was really helpful. There's Jess Stewart is quite good at working on imposter syndrome and techniques. And one of the main learnings I had from her was it's never going to go away, but um, what you can do is turn down the dial and um, using some techniques like, you know, each week that I was at the Ministry for Women, I kept a little black book and at the end of the week, I would write down some of the things that went really well that week. And so then you start kind of building up your little black book of things that you know that you can do and actually that helps build your confidence and then when you're building your confidence then your imposter syndrome dial is kind of decreasing a little bit so always there but actually every little thing that you do actually helps actually having doing mistakes as well is okay and that you learn from them and also learning to actually ask for help acknowledging the areas where you're not so confident where you need to upskill, being the vulnerability, being clear, open about your vulnerability in areas that, that you're not happy with or areas with that uh, you think you can do better and actually learning. A couple of things that I really learned over that time. Also learned that if you stuff up and that you're not going to get fired and actually it's how you respond to those stuff ups is probably a better way to look at it and actually that's what people are looking at, not that, that it happened in the first place. Because you have little control when you're at the top or you have less I feel like you have less control but more accountability for the outcomes and over time you kind of have to let 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 those go and actually trust the people around you to do the work that they need to do and then having confidence in yourself to be able to come in and help if needed and to get things back on the right path but failure is fine and that's kind of one of the big things I learned too. What wonderful um, lessons there for 
leadership, but mm. also for life, probably, <laughs> in terms of, yeah, absolutely. We all fail. We all make mistakes. We all stuff up. And it's about how you recover for them, but also actually as a leader that's still continuing to show trust in your team and giving them the space as well. And so that's, you know, a nice practical tip, actually, about, okay, taking stock of the things that have gone well and you're proud of at the end of the week. What a great piece of advice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, more recently, you've taken on the role as chief executive for the social wellbeing agency. What do you really love about your work now? Yeah, I think if we're talking about uh, setting goals for yourself, I think one of the goals, you know, in early in my career, I probably didn't set any goals for myself and just went, oh, I'll just go with the flow. But now I'm actually doing a little bit more of goal setting and where I want to go and head in the future. And, you know, what kind of one of my life goals is kind of a bit closer to the community and being in roles that actually contribute to change in your community. And so that's kind of my long-term term goal. And so what I need to get there is probably do a couple more, you know, chief executive roles. And so rather than, you know, going to big agencies, I decided to, to do a few little agencies and demonstrate that I could make a difference in little agencies. So social wellbeing agency was an opportunity that came up. And what I like about it, it kind of fits with my social, social sector background. It's a small agency as well. So, you know, I'm kind of getting kind of uh, used to the challenges of small agencies and I can continue working with on a system-wide perspective. So, system-wide our skills around you know making change in a system is 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 quite hard as well so i get to you know practice those ones as well as lead another great team that um, tries to make a difference yeah the new zealanders yeah wonderful and i like the way actually you talked about getting clearer on your goals or on your own purpose as you've kind of gone through your career I think you know that they they move around anyway even if you had clearer goals they change as we go but I find for a lot of women almost their their desire to make a difference or to have an impact on community on society kind of gets stronger as they go through their career oh yeah that's good yeah that's what I've found anyway yeah Yeah. And you talked about perhaps some of those challenges as you came into that first chief exec role. If you look back at your overall career to date, what have been some of your toughest career challenges or moments? Yeah, I think that the experience of when I moved from the Ministry of Social Development and actually, you know, putting myself out there. So I think that was a real career challenge move. One thing I I learned going through forward was that the actual the skills and competencies and that you need as a leader is actually already set out for you and it's quite transparent and that's using the uh, leadership development competencies, LDC competencies, and actually having a look at where that framework sets out four areas where you need to demonstrate your competencies as you go through the public service. And so that's a really good avenue to look at in terms of building your skills and where you need to focus on and actually that's kind of an area that if you are looking to improve your skills or focus on if you want to get ahead then keep an eye out for those competency areas because those are the areas which the public sector is kind of saying that these are the skills that we want and also as a a CE or in, in those top kind of roles in the public service they're looking at really that you have got a breadth so you you know strong and not just one area like policy or operations but you've had experience across 
multiple kind of areas, not just policy or not just operations, but a little bit of corporate as well, a little bit of project work. So yeah, having a variety of skills on your CV or that you can demonstrate that you can do. And also as a woman, probably I'd throw in a lot of sponsors there. So people who know know your worth, know what you can do and will advocate you, advocate for you or put your name forward as they go through when they identify opportunities because I think that's a, you know, kind of a, that is a sort of a feature of women in careers. The majority of women I met are really keen to um, actually help others, other women actually get ahead in their careers as well. Mm, and I think that's a great point about sponsors and the role that they can play in opening doors for you or giving you a push and a nudge or, you know, or perhaps highlighting opportunities that you might not have even considered. How did you go about finding sponsors in your career? I think um, I put through my work, I think, and your networks and your relationships. I think that, that that can't be underestimated. So I know when I went through the Ministry of Education to sponsor, I would, you know, I tried to get work that was not just in the policy area, but worked across to another deputy chief executive so they could also see what you're doing. So you've got your sponsor of your own, obviously your line manager, but there's other people in the organisation that actually you have helped and contributed to how their outcomes and their outcome areas. So, yeah, it's a lot of like taking my own and finding the work that actually people can see and then they've got kind of a real factual example of what you've done. And then also taking my opportunities in meetings with, you know, that there might be important people in there. Like, you know, I remember going to a meeting with commissioner and a minister and I'm going, oh, this is my opportunity. It will either, I'll either like nail it or, or die trying type thing. So you're taking your opportunities and you're taking a risk and giving things a go. They're seeing you interact, they're seeing your performance. And I think that, that those networking and those opportunities are kind of key. And, and while they might be scary, those are the, that's the kind of the risk that you, you, know, you know, take and it's good to be to have a little bit of anxiety because it means you're really thinking about it. And even now as my coach, even when I'm doing presentations or um, meetings or important meetings, you know, one of the key learnings that my coach has, has jumped into me is actually prepare for those meetings, prepare for those presentations. What do you want to get out of it? What's your outcome leading into skills like executive presence and so actually you can prepare for those important meetings and then use those important meetings or opportunities to actually show show what you can do and put things kind of in your own hands. And I think sometimes as women we sort of think oh I wish my work would just speak for itself but it's taking that to that next step which is actually I've got to make sure that my work is visible to people that it might be useful for them to see what I can do but also that you're creating and then preparing for and taking those opportunities to be able to show what you can do. If you don't tell anyone, how do they know <laughs> what you can do? No. So, yeah, and that's a little bit about, you know, raising your profile and your visibility and, you know, your networks. And and the other thing I found recently is there's networks across the, the public service, so lots, lots of opportunities, lots of areas where you can input and make a difference and show that you're, you know, contributing to the public service and, and its advancement. Mm, so look beyond just the role as well for those opportunities. Mm -hmm. Nice. And we talked a bit earlier about some of the, I guess, that period in, in your life when life was very full in terms of study and work and kids. 
thinking about it now, you know, you're, you're doing a very full on job. How do you find balance between your career and your work and your broader life? Yeah, I think, you know, I, I get refreshed and I refresh my wider by probably family and friends. So I spend a lot of time with family and friends because they really don't care if you're a chief executive. They just see you as their, you know, you know, family member. My kids will, will be just like, you know, hey, what's for dinner? You know, you go home and say, oh, just on, you know, TV or something or did a recording. And they're like, yeah, yeah, you know, what's for dinner? So, you know, it's, it's kind of like, you know, getting back in those moments with family and kind of really love being around my all my aunts and just being around people who we are trying to help really or, you know, contribute to and make their lives better. And it kind of just reminds you of why why you're working and what you, you're doing, what you're doing and, you know, contributing to them as well as both like personally and professionally for sort of outcomes for New, New Zealand. So that, that kind of grounds me, you know, when I go back to like whānau and, and, that, and that kind of environment. And, you know, and aside from that, I kind of, I like to set myself some goals, whether it be some exercise goals or have a goal of doing the, all the all the great walks. And so I'm up to number six. So that kind of gives me something to focus on and, you know, do my exercise or keep myself sane. So I focus on those two things. Mm, and I think that is such a good lesson. I think sometimes... In leadership, we focus on maybe the functional skills or the way we might lead people. But actually, you have to, as you said, be well and healthy mentally, physically, in order to be able to take on that kind of a role. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, great, great point. And we talked, Renee, earlier about, I guess, some of the tougher times, some of the things that have been more of a challenge. If you um, turn it around the other way, what have been some of your proudest career moments to date? Uh, yeah, I think really humbled to be able to lead the Ministry for Women and actually be a chief executive. So I think and making the most of my opportunities there and making a difference. And, you know, we can't do everything. You've got a small organisation and there's so much work to do. But my approach was just to kind of do little things by little things and make those inch improvements and adding to, you know, small improvements in the, the outcomes for women, but you know, you are the decision maker there, so you do have a lot more opportunities. So there's some of the work that we did in the Ministry for Women, I was really proud of. The first time I established a unit for a Māori woman that had, had, that had been previously disestablished. We did things like got gender pay gap on the agenda and change across, you know, 36 agencies in the public service where it's now at its lowest ever. We got 50% women on public sector boards. So there was kind of like just taking the opportunities and making change. And I think when you can see that your decisions are making a difference, then actually it, it really empowers you to keep going, keep going and then finding those opportunities to make another little change. So the Ministry for Women was a great place and we had a great time in, in that space and actually working with the stakeholders I really enjoyed the women sector because you know we the Ministry for Women couldn't have done it without their stakeholders because they do half half the work with you and actually having the same co-papa so the stakeholder stuff in the Ministry for Women was great as well and then now I'm looking forward to really doing that social well-being agency. 
Mm, wonderful. And I think, you know, if I look at, as you said, the public sector across those 36 agencies, the gender pay gap reporting that moves to close the gender pay gap, the um, proportion of women in both leadership and absolutely in governance roles, it's leading the way versus the private sector, which is <laughs> lagging a bit, and both pay gap reporting and also um, diversity and it's uh, both governance and leadership roles. So, you know, I think it's great to see actually the public sector really leading the way mm-hmm. in those Yeah, absolutely. And uh, one last question then, Renee, I'd love to hear, you know, you've shared a few fantastic pieces of advice already, but have you got any other career advice that you wanted to share for women? Yeah, as I said before, it's probably one of the things that really helped me in my later sort of roles was setting some goals for each job that I might have. So for instance, if I was going for ministry form and I had a goal of actually like, well, one of my objectives is to demonstrate I could um, develop a strategy for an organisation or, you know, and just having like some really good stretch kind of goals for yourself, but not too big, but just a few that you can kind of focus on that you want to get out of your time at in in any particular, you know, role, I think that's good. And then that's why kind of when I had met my goals for that organisation, I thought, yeah, it's kind of time for me to move on to another role and set my other um, objectives as well. And so setting a little mini objectives for yourself for each role is kind of something that really helped me in my last few Uh, roles and something that, you know, I don't see myself as, you know, really ambitious and probably do a lot to ensure that I don't seem to be ambitious, but that was kind of a good balance for me, just setting my own little little, little goals uh, for myself. Just taking those opportunities and I try not to turn down really hard stuff and if it makes me feel uncomfortable, then I know that's probably good for me to do. And, you know, you're always learning. You know, you don't become a leader and then like, oh, you're a leader, you've learned it, that's it. Because your your leadership skills keep evolving and changing over time. And I think your leadership skills change with different circumstances. But, you know, you, you back yourself. And I think intuitively that you, you kind of do know when things aren't the right thing to do or not the right thing to do. So back yourself in your decision-making approaches because, you know, there's kind of always probably something behind it. And, yeah, just get advice. And I've heard people say don't turn down job opportunities because you should always say yes. So I kind of try and say yes all the time now to any opportunities that I want to go through. Yeah, wonderful. Some super advice there. I like the bit about, you know, actually setting some realistic, achievable, but also slightly stretching goals to kind of keep you keep you focused. But that piece around actually, if it's uncomfortable and if it feels hard, actually still say yes, because there's probably loads of learning that that can happen in there and, and to back yourself and to have the to trust in your intuition as well along the way. Renee, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure to speak with you today and to hear about your journey, the way that you've managed to combine both your operational policy knowledge and take that into your leadership roles as well to ultimately to help our wonderful society here in Aotearoa. So thank you so much for, uh, for sharing your journey. Okay. I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Female Career Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. For more inspiring stories of women of Aotearoa and their careers, subscribe to the Female Career Podcast via Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you like to listen so that you never miss a story. 
You can also take a look at our website, thefemalecareer.com, where we feature the stories. And if you subscribe to our mailing list, you can have career advice and inspiration delivered directly to your inbox. Thanks for your support, and I look forward to you joining us again soon.